So I will be talking about reconstruction, reconstructing ma glacier mass balance over a mountain range uh, using octopus. Uh, this work has been developed during my PhD uh, with Frederick and Yuri. And uh, as I said, we are now on the surface on a smaller scale, both in space and in time. Uh, but our ice is in the past and it has melted. Uh, the glacial landscapes we observe today, they are a result, but also uh, an indicator of past glaciations all over the world. Uh, with the recent development of uh, new dating methods, the map mapping methods, and uh, the gathering of large amounts of data, these things inspire us to develop better and new approaches and techniques to use this data to try to gain better insight into past conditions on our planet. Uh, on the left, I'm showing you the LGM reconstruction, so the reconstruction of the ice during the last glacial maximum over New Zealand, uh, of the South Island of New Zealand, the Southern Alps. And on the right, I'm showing you in red the outline of the ice extent over Patagonia during the LGM ice extent. Other authors have before also used ice extents to uh, gain better information about the um, present conditions, uh, present climate conditions, method like area accumulation ra ratio to reconstruct the equilibrium line altitude are widely used. People have used forward models as well, uh, forcing them with present day precipitation, present day uh, temperature, and then calibrating these, uh, these fields with either pollen or, or other observation and try to run the forward models and try to see how they fit, how these scenarios fit with the ice extents observed. Uh, this has inspired us as well. We will uh, here present a method to reconstruct the mass balance rate, more precisely the point weight is zero, the equilibrium line altitude as a spatially variable field, and we will do it over a mountain range. So our objective is to invert ice extent data to constrain past climate. For that, I'm using an ice flow model. So in that context, that means constraining the mass balance rate and how it varies in space, or even shorter. I will use the ice extent outlines to produce spatially variable maps of the ELA as such as this, and ELA is, is the point where the mass balance rate is zero, and I will come to that in a second. Before I start talking about the inverse method, I want to talk about the forward model. Uh, I have, we described our evolution of ice by solving the mass conservation equation, so on the left we have the change of ice thickness in time, and on the right we have the divergence of the fluxes and the mass balance rate, which is our forcing, and it's a parameter where we clump all the climate in one point uh, to make it simple. Uh, we use, uh, so our fluxes we solve, uh, to have our fluxes we need to solve our velocities and with velocities we solve by using a shallow ice approximation which is the first order approximation of the ice flow and we, run, we solve the equations using explicit finite differences on a staggered grid. Uh, so this is very relative, but I do relatively a lot of runs and they take relatively long for me personally, but compared to everyone in the room, it's very short. Uh, but still, patience is limited and we have implemented our codes on a GPU to get significant speed ups uh, of our calculations. Uh, we write our codes with CUDA-C and to tackle the high diffusivities that happen uh, on steep slopes using shallow ice approximation, we have included the flux limiter and we have coupled the, the code with a flexure that has uh, elastic, uh, elastic co constant elastic thickness. We run our codes to the steady state. That means that the left-hand side of the equation equals zero. There is no more change of ice thickness in time. And now here on the right, you can see uh, one of the outputs of our uh, inverse model, the 
uh, reconstruction of the ice thickness of the, over the Alps during the LGM, and the color bar represents not elevation, but uh, thickness of the ice. And uh, if, we have the, if we go to steady state, the left-hand side of the equation is zero. If we have thickness, we can calculate our velocities, we can calculate our fluxes. So, so the thing that is unknown is our climate forcing, so our forcing parameter, our production term. And that is what uh, I will focus on this talk. Uh, we approximate our production term as a linear function, as a linear function of the balance gradient beta, which represents on the graph the slope of uh, the slope here. So it is the change of mass balance with altitude. It's a function of surface topography, so uh, the combination of bedrock topography and the ice on it, so the, the surface of the ice. And it's a, function, it's a function of the equilibrium line altitude, which is the point, the altitude, where mass balance equals zero. And that is a crucial point for us because then there are equations that connect this with changes in precipitation and changes in temperature. And that is the aim of our study to try to reconstruct the elevations of the equilibrium line altitude. We introduce, uh, uh, we use a cutoff value, a maximum accumulation rate, because uh, as if somebody saw even on um, this Monday uh, on the seminar here, uh, it was shown for Tian Shan, uh, mass balance rate as it, uh, as it goes with altitude, it has a cutoff value after which there is no more increase in the accumulation rate, uh, in the accumulation rate. Uh, please, if you can, try to remember these three parameters, beta, E, and C, because uh, we will be constantly referring to them and compare our results in accordance with them. Uh, now to show you a little sketch of how the inverse method works. Uh, from our observations, we have, well, ours, from observations, we have mapped areas in the landscape where ice used to be during the last glacial maximum. So we have areas we, we know there was ice and areas when we know there was no ice. We run our forward model, we try to prescribe a climate, we try to prescribe an equilibrium line altitude field. If we have an equilibrium line altitude field, we can calculate the mass balance rate and we can solve our steady state solution and calculate the thickness of the ice. If we have the thickness of the ice, we have the ice extent. We miss, it happens, and we see that we are different, that we are way off than the observation we are trying to fit. And now we, uh, what we do, we our ice extent has gone too far, which means our accumulation zone is too large, which means we need to raise the ELA, reduce the accumulation zone, increase the ablation zone, and increase the zone of melting, because everything above the equilibrium line altitude is the accumulation zone where we gain mass of ice, and everything below the equilibrium line altitude is an area of a glacier where we melt, where our glacier loses mass. And so we need to, here we need to raise the equilibrium line altitude, increase the ablation zone that melts our ice, and then we update the ELA field in the area where we have difference. And then, since that would not be a smooth solution, we assume a smooth solution and we run this field through a diffusion equation, uh, connect the, connect the uh, equilibrium line field and send it back into our forward model as a new input. We run our code again. So now we have missed somewhere. We have gone too far in some areas, so we need to raise the equilibrium line altitude here. But here, we are not reaching the observed ice extent. That means we need to increase the accumulation zone. We need to get more ice there. So we need to lower the ELA. We do this again in these areas that are only red and yellow. And then we run the update to a diffusion equation. And that we use that as an input for our next forward model until we reach uh, a satisfying uh, fit. Because it will, in reality, we'll never get a perfect fit. because. 
of the physics uh, parametrized or neglected in a four model because of the uh, errors in the data. And uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, our solution will never be 100% fit, and that is good. Uh, to now very shortly talk about the math, uh, we define our inverse problem. It's more of an optimization uh, as our error function g is the difference between the data and the output of our forward model and the whole idea is to minimize our error function g. We define it as a two-term function uh, as the first, the first term is the difference between the output and the observation and since this is an undetermined problem, the second, uh, we tackle this by uh, opposing a smooth solution. We use Tikhonov regularization and the second part uh, of the equation on the right side uh, gives us a smooth solution and uh, I will not go deep into the math of this at all. Uh, more details you can find in the paper that we just finally got uh, accepted and uh, there are more details on that and the whole uh, mathematical reasons why when we use this we can minimize the, the cost function. Uh, but Without boring you with math, I want to show you that this is relatively simple to implement. And uh, it's a five-step recipe, and I want to give it to you now. So we start with the initial guess for E. We run the forward model. We calculate our ice thicknesses. If we have our ice thicknesses, we have our ice extents. We compare them with data. We update our equilibrium line altitude field in the areas where we have differences, but with a constant factor. We just update it. And we regularize the problem by applying diffusion to the new equilibrium line field. And now we have a smooth field. And then new, new smooth field is now input for our next forward model run. Uh, we, uh, to, to one thing, uh, the diffusion we apply, we apply it to a certain number of steps. And the number of steps of the diffusion we do tells us of how much we propagate the solution from the edge into the, into the ice extent. Uh, now I want to show you how it works on a synthetic test. So we choose a mountain that's pretty, and we uh, choose an equilibrium line field, a synthetic, this is a synthetic test. We can do what we want. I chose an Eichler-Steinmetz function. And if we have an equilibrium line altitude field, we can calculate the mass balance rate, and then we can use this mass balance rate to calculate ice thickness. The outline of this ice thickness is our ice extent, and we will be using this as, uh, as synthetic data for this test. Since I can do a reconstruction of the uh, ice extent and of the equilibrium line altitude only where I have ice, uh, I need to multiply the synthetic uh, function with the mask of my ice extent that I'm trying to fit. So this is the solution I'm aiming for. I start with a bad guess because there's no reason why. I had, uh, we had a, a random noise to it to avoid imposing a spatial pattern because we don't want to impose a spatial pattern to the solution. We iterate, we iterate, we iterate, and we come close to something that makes sense. We multiply with the mass of, mask of the ice thickness, so with the calculated ice extent, and you can see that uh, these two results are very similar. Uh, to show you how much, things have flipped now, I apologize, uh, but it's the same thing, just upside down. Uh, this was our ice extent, and here you can see on the right the differences in meters between, our, uh, between the synthetic and uh, the synthetic imposed ELA and our reconstructions, our reconstructions, and it's a, I'm quite happy with this fit. So now I, I have showed you that we can do a synthetic uh, re reconstruction on a synthetic test using ice extent, but it doesn't have to be so. We can, uh, from this ice extent that has around 40,000 points, I have chosen 400 randomly, 
and I have chosen ice thickness points from the ice thickness uh, result that I've shown you, and now I'm using that as data. And with the same inversion, we do the, we get our reconstruction, this is our result, and, and uh, now this is a plot of our errors. It was the same forcing, and you can see that uh, we can reconstruct the same thing uh, without using ice extents, we can, we can use also ice thickness data, and if you analyze the errors slightly, you can see that now in this, uh, this example, the errors are higher on the edges than before. That is because of the random distribution of the ice thickness points that I chose, and then uh, the ice extent, the edge of the ice is not well constrained, and then uh, larger errors will, will show up there, but then less errors will show up in the middle because of the ice thickness points and constrain the solution better. Uh, same type of inversion can be done for beta. Uh, we have done in this paper, I will not bother you with that, but uh, it's, it's completely it's doable, we have done it. And a combination of ice thickness points and ice extent can also be done, but I'm not showing this in this talk. Uh, so now I have shown you the synthetic test. Uh, we have to verify our method. I want to show it on how it behaves in real data. For that, we have chosen the South Island of the New Zealand, the Southern Alps, because they have a very good cl uh, climatic conditions that, that might show us what we want to the, the test the method and to verify the method because other reconstructions have been done here as well. New, uh, South Island of New Zealand has a strong uh, west-east gradient because of the strong influence of the westerlies. They bring precipitation and that orographic uh, barrier then uh, creates a lot of precipitation and you can see in the ice extent uh, creates a large a large ice cap. Uh, we are using an ice extent from Barrel. Uh, just to tell if before the result a few things about the uh, approximations. So there is no C. It's zero. Uh, we use present day topography and uh, we use an assumption in this and all the other examples that the maximum ice extent has been reached at the same time in all points. Uh, with that said, uh, this is the result of our, one of the results of our, our, of our reconstruction. So what you can see here, we have two gradients. They're quite uh, clear, clear and visible. We have the north-south gradient and the west-east gradient. The north-south gradient uh, corresponds to the change of latitude and we believe it to be a temperature-driven gradient, while the west-east gradient is the influence of the westerlies bringing the precipitation, uh, increasing the accumulation zone and then lowering the equilibrium line altitude in these areas. Uh, on the left, you can see the differences between uh, the model, uh, our model output uh, and observations. So in yellow, we have the uh, surface areas, uh, areas where uh, observations show there is ice, but my model, our model has not reconstructed it. And in red, you can see areas where we have, uh, our model has ice, but uh, there is no observations that confirm it. Uh, Personally, I'm happy with this fit, but I want to show you that I can do a better fit. So uh, by tweaking a bit the, the, and calibrating the model parameters, we can get to an almost ideal uh, 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 fit, but uh, what I would like to really stop and point out here, uh, uh, a better fit is not necessarily a better result because we have to keep in mind when we do these inversions of the approximations we have made, of the ice extent not being reached at the same time, of the uh, parameterizations of uh, physical processes in a forward model, or neglecting some of them, 
and uh, using President topography. So uh, the result for this would be something like this. And, and so I, since we have, when you have one, one uh, parameter that varies, then all the variations tend to be clumped into that parameter. And one has to be very careful how to interpret these results. And here we have, uh, our algorithm has created a, a series of local maximum, uh, minima or maximum that don't really have physical, uh, physical explanation or physical background. So this is just a reminder that when we do these kind of inversions, we would have to be careful to keep in mind what kind of data we are feeding and with what kind of model we are feeding them and be aware of the approximations we have made because otherwise we can draw heavily or quite wrong conclusions. Uh, now I want to show you my new work and this is quite fresh and uh, it's not uh, done yet and I will show you just the preliminary results. Uh, there is, uh, so, oh, 20, 18, 18 years ago, but uh, for a while, uh, there is speculation that during the LGM, because of the uh, positioning of the Laurentine ice sheet and, uh, and the uh, ice of the Alps, uh, that the position of the stone track uh, has changed. And then that the westerly winds, instead of bringing uh, precipitation uh, as they do now, they shifted south and they brought moisture from the south. And uh, we are interested in that. Well, personally, I'm interested in that. and it's. I want to know if, if that happened because, uh, of course, with every, as you have every, uh, every theory, also there are people who say that is not true. And uh, we have chosen to, to try to see, can we get a sense of that? Was that happening? We chose the Pyrenees and uh, ice, ice cap over the Pyrenees, a small ice, uh, and uh, the Alpine ice cap to do our ELA reconstructions and see if we can see influences or changes in the, in the uh, precipitation patterns or, or the position of the ELA that would correspond to this. Uh, we will not stop, we will do a Corsica as well and maybe something in between, but f in this talk I will only show the Pyrenees and the LGM. Uh, European Alps, so the, 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 the test I'm showing you, uh, we are using present-day topography, uh, it's around 800 meters and 600 meters in uh, X and Y direction and only a million points uh, for this map, we are doing now a, a high, slightly higher resolution test as well, but I'm, I will be showing these. Uh, this is the ice, ice extent we are trying to fit from publishing Eclairs in 2011. Uh, we have done, uh, we have not sampled all of the parameter space, but we have done a series of, of uh, sensitivity tests just to get a feel of how the certain parameters are influencing our result. And uh, just to say here, uh, with one GPU, this would be over three months, and thanks to uh, Ludovic and Octopus, it was done in a week because we could just get 20 GPUs because we had them, and that is really nice. Uh, now to j talk a bit about the results. This is the, on the right-hand side, you can see the, the, the result and the elevation of the equilibrium line altitude uh, in the color bar. Uh, I see here two gradients. I've been looking at this uh, figures for a while, so maybe I see too many of them, but I see a north-south gradient and a west-east gradient, and again, the north-south gradient corresponds with the latitudinal difference, which could be uh, explained by then the difference in temperature, and it could be a temperature-driven gradient, while the west-east would make sense to be uh, uh, influence of the westerlies, bringing uh, extra precipitation from the west and lowering the equilibrium line altitude field by increasing the accumulation zone and bringing more, more ice, and then uh, getting drier on the west side. Uh, these are our errors, so it, this is still work in progress and this is not an ideal fit. I, I, I 
need a few more weeks to be happy with the, fully happy with these results, but uh, uh, this, this is quite okay. Uh, so again, in yellow is the areas where we uh, have observations that say we have ice and my model doesn't reconstruct it, but in red I have uh, areas where I reconstruct ice, but there is no observation that there was ice there. Uh, then we did the Pyrenees. Uh, it's a smaller grid, it's only 500 by 500, it's nothing special, so in, uh, it's ice extent from Eclairs at all. Uh, it's almost 700 and 300 uh, meters uh, grid size, and the final result that we are doing now will be 300 by 300. I don't think I will go uh, uh, lower than that for the moment. Uh, our result is, is also a quite clear gradient, so uh, this, would bring the, this would mean that we have, I personally believe that this is a, a, a Influence of the westerly is bringing more moisture from the northwest and then getting dry after it crosses the Pyrenees because there is less, less moisture now. And the, this gradient fits quite well with the, uh, with the other reconstructions. And the errors again, so, so there is a few more tests I will do before I'm completely happy with this result, but this is, this is quite okay. Uh, so again, yellow and red mean the same thing. And uh, so this is, this is the idea. This is our, our map where we have our pioneers and the Alps, and, and this is the, the center of our investigation. And the next step is to add Corsica and to see to add ice that was here, and then see by changing the accumulation values, maximum accumulation values, and see what kind of drier climate needed to be for this ELA to fit uh, with other reconstructions as well, and then see if, if it was really dry here or it, was, it needed a, a higher accumulation to, to reconstruct these, uh, these values, and that, that's the goal of our investigation in the following weeks. Uh, to conclude, uh, we have inverted the ice extent data to constrain pace climate. We have done this using a forward model, and that means a very, uh, constraining mass balance rate and its parameters, mainly the point where mass balance rate equals zero, so the equilibrium line altitude. We have tested the method on both synthetic and uh, real data examples, and we have implemented our codes on GPUs. Uh, the future work is to investigate the role of other physical processes and ice dynamics that's neglected in our forward model. Uh, we want to go global, we want to do the world, uh, and apply it to different time periods because uh, snapshots in time would be very interesting to see how these patterns have changed and what we can conclude from that. And we want to combine different sets of data. So as I've said, we can combine the ice extent and ice thickness data in the same inversion, and that gives us quite, uh, quite some power. Uh, and the thing I haven't spoke about, uh, I need to quantify errors, and I promise I will do it. I have said that in a talk before, but it, by the next one it will be hopefully done. And uh, thank you very much. This is a picture of the octopus while it was still very small, around 80, and now it's, it's grown quite a lot. <laughs>